Welcome to the Tour Coach here in 2023, another year of the stories, the conversations, the roundtable discussions that come from my travels on the PGA and the Corn Ferry Tours, along with my teaching down at Old Palm and Palm Beach Gardens, or here in my studio in Mobile, Alabama. These are the stories and the guests and the people that I run into that I bring to you to help you enjoy playing the game of golf, learning about the game of golf, or learning how to teach the game of golf. I hope you'll enjoy my travels, my conversations, and you enjoy being on this journey with me. But I also want to remind you that this journey and bringing it to you wouldn't be possible without a special thanks to our longtime sponsors. First and foremost, Strixon and Cleveland Golf, Vineyard Vines, Bushnell Golf, and Buick GMC. Without those, the tour coach and all these travels wouldn't be possible, wouldn't be possible to bring these conversations to you. I hope you'll enjoy sitting in with me on another version here of the tour coach. All right. So thanks everybody for joining us. Um, sent out an email a few days ago asking, uh, you know, for questions and we had phenomenal feedback, uh, sent those questions to Wayne, JP and Jackson. So we're going to cover most of those today. I'll send another email out in a few weeks. We also had some folks suggest some folks that they'd like to have on. Uh, Kevin Kirk and Scott Hamilton were on the list. I think we can, JP, I think me and you could twist both of those. I talked to Kirk uh, yesterday. He said he'd be happy to do it. So um, anyways, appreciate the feedback. We're going to kind of jump in here. It's also going to be on the Tour Coach podcast because we know I'm lazy. I like to knock out a couple things at one time. Uh, But uh, Jackson, you got the questions in front of you. Go ahead and lead us off. You can kind of moderate this and uh, Wayno and JP and I and Jackson will kind of answer these. We got some fantastic topics, I thought, on teaching. Yeah. Uh, one of the first ones we got was somebody asking about methods to help swing changes stick over time. And um, I thought that was a great question, especially bridging the gap from, you know, playing a lot, um, practicing and playing on the golf course, but how to make those swing changes stick over time. You know, so I learned early on from Wayne and from my mentor, HJ, one of the things I learned was that, you know, to try to get people to change doing things without a ball and slow speed was some of the most effective, but uh, people don't like to do that very much. So for me, if you, you watch some of the stuff we put out, I, you know, through the work I've done with Colby and different things, I know JP's had the same experience with people he's worked with um, having people use do drills and bands and things where they can acquire a motor skill and they can learn the movement pattern, especially if you're teaching somebody to turn or to shift different things, whatever it is, having people do some sort of an exercise, use resistance bands, different things to have them learn and acquire the new movement pattern for me has been a big help helping people make a change maybe quicker or sooner than they would other ways. Um, For me, having people hit balls at full speed, trying to make a change is the least effective way. But that seems to be what most people on a lesson T want to do. They want to swing 100% as fast as they can and then ask if that looks better or if it's any different. But that to me is – so as a teacher, it's important for me to try to slow people down, really try to get them away from hitting – taking the club out of their hand certain times, uh, having them use bands or drills where they don't have the club and they're not going full speed – is some of the most effective things for me. So I thought I'd lead that off. Always try and help help them understand the distinct differences between training, preparation, and performance. So with your with your training, you're you're trying to 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 help like what you're saying, Tony, the, the movement patterns, mm-hmm. the feels, 
that, you know, and that may not be on the golf course all the time. That certainly might not even be on the driving range for tour players. Right. That could be in the, on the hotel room or the gym. Um, you know, and then moving that into preparing to play golf. And then, you know, so w- when you're preparing to play golf, really the things you're going to start to rely on are your routines and your triggers. So when you're, mm-hmm. when you're putting, when you're putting those different changes into, um, into the system where the system's going to lead to the golf course, then you're trying to help people understand that the routines and the triggers have to kind of match up with whatever changes that you've made. And I think that that's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a very important part of the, the transference, the, the, the transferring of, of what you're trying to do on the lesson tee to what you're trying to do on the golf course. So, you know, firstly, making people aware that there has to be a transference, making them aware that, you know, they, they have to go from one, you know, almost one side of the brain to the other. And then how do you take the, the information and dilute it to a point where they can use it um, in a more authentic way just to, to hit a golf shot? Bueno. Well, T, I think, you know, just what you've said and Justin said, I mean, I, I think you have to you have to figure out what you want to learn how to do. And that's a, obviously going to be a new motor pattern. And so you have to teach them how to do that. And that's that's learned slowly. And then once they develop the skill and you have to help them a lot of times learn how to move whatever part of their body they're trying to learn to do different. You have to do that slowly until they can kind of sort of feel that everybody wants to feel it at a hundred miles an hour. Well, that doesn't work. And, and so you have to go slow enough for them to learn to feel it. And when they start to learn to do that, then you get your hands off them and, and let them, let them go on their own, you know, and, and, and do that enough and enough times to where you're starting to fire that new motor pattern where their, you know, their nervous system may pick that up and, and be able to do it on their own. But, you know, going a, going full blast or 100 miles an hour—that's that's not going to work. I mean, there—you have to make them aware of that. So, and and guide them through that and help them through that because we all we all want to learn. We all want to hit it far. We want to do fun, fun, have fun doing it. But you know, you you've got to learn to do it something slowly before you can learn to execute it at at a speed. And you know, if you do it enough times slowly, you're you're body will learn that and it'll transfer it to ownership and you know once people own it then they can go ahead and take it to the golf course and and someday do it at at a speed that you want to play with so i think slowing down and 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 making the 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 movement pattern you know very specific i think that's the way to to do it and make it make it last you know make it make it not be a one-hit wonder so to speak i think it's also important to to couple things one to explain explain to them what you're changing and why. I mean, and especially for the, a lot of the folks listening here, like, I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about tour players, although it's probably applicable to them too, but, you know, explain to the student in front of you why you're wanting to change it and the effect it's going to have on the golf ball and where you're going to go with it down the road. Cause I think people are more apt to buy into it and stick with it. If you explain to them, you know, JP, you've talked before on here, about your first lesson and how it's kind of an hour and a half, two hours and you sit and talk with them, stuff like that. I think, I think one part of the lesson that gets overlooked a lot is the explanation of what you see, why you're making the change and then the effect that it's going to have on the ball. And I I think if you don't do that stuff, I think it's less likely the guy who hits seven shitty shots in a row is going to stick with it when he leaves if he doesn't understand where you're going with it down the road. Yep. 
me. I hope my audio's running okay now. I've got I was working with a tour player yesterday, and you know, I said to him, Listen, if you do this properly, the spin should come off the golf ball a little bit. The the window that it comes out should be a little bit lower. And you should probably start your shots to the right with that stronger flight. So if you if you're doing it right, it should look like that. And if you're doing it wrong, it'll go, you know, it could go high and right or it could it could spin up in the air. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Helping them understand what they should expect, I think, is very important. Yeah, I think that's a big part of helping somebody make a change because, you know, helping them understand what to expect and then what the benefits going to be down the road for their game. Um, Jackson, you got another – we got some great questions tonight, so I want to make sure we keep going. Yeah, follow-up. Second question was about student retention and keeping them on plan to reach their goals. Any words of wisdom there, gentlemen? Go ahead there, JP. Well, you know, when I come out, I, I use the, Co- the Coach Now software. I know there's a lot of good stuff with clips and things. I think, you know, I would encourage the younger teachers to take advantage of that. Um, you know, I think it's going to be ever more part of like the normal kind of lesson experience for people in the next number of years to be able to uh, look at what, you know, what was, what was done on the lesson tee, whether that's a simple note or a voice note or some videos and some drills and bits and pieces like that. You know, I think for student retention, it's very, very clever um, because people, you know, 99 smartphone and they can just pull up that smartphone at, at a dinner party and say, hey, I was working on this with Jackson. Look at this and this putting drill he did. And not only does that uh, breed retention, but that also breeds, I guess, word of mouth in 2023, which I think uh, is, a, is a good way to build your business. I, I, I mean, I agree. I, you know, I, I use that on form app. I've just delved into that. Um, but, uh, you know, I have advanced from my days of writing stuff on a three by five note card, um, because I kept finding too many of them on the ground when, when the student <laughs> would leave. Uh, I mean, they were great for me to be able to look at, but, uh, I, so I make, I, I like to make all of my students write down in their cell phone in the notes. But one thing I'm also, I also try to do, and I, I think I'm okay at it, but like, is when you're in the middle of a lesson and a student kind of has an epiphany where they verbalize what they feel like when they've done something different or good or whatever it is we're looking and they say something, it's like, Oh, when I do it, I feel this knee or whatever it is. I, I just go grab their phone for them right there and have them write down exactly what they just said. Cause oftentimes to me, if we let them get to the end of the hour and write it down, sometimes they may not remember exactly what they said or exactly what they felt. And hell, how the hell are we going to expect them to remember that? Two days from now when they go to the driving range, they can't remember it exactly. So I try to be really good about slowing them down. And I learned this from Wayne. You know, the lesson isn't about hitting how many golf balls they can hit. If you want to get better or you teach somebody to get better, it, you know, sometimes slowing them down. And when they have one of those thoughts, um, I did this with Will McFadden the other day, Jackson. And uh, it was actually going back to JP, that lesson I was referencing you earlier with when I observed you, uh, you know, I had, he, he got a funny feel from it and he verbalized it and I had him write it down. And that was all we did for the rest of the lesson. So I think slowing them down and getting them to write it down and commit it is, is important. Tony, I think you're right. Getting it into their own words is really important to them. Um, cause you know, we, we'll talk a lot of times in in our verbiage or whatever. And, and I think something that's really important is getting them to understand whatever the concept is that we're trying to get them to do and then figure out how to get it into their, their mind or their 
their verbiage where they're going to be able to understand that and, and take it for the next, you know, two, three weeks, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be in order to get them, you know, to, to learn it and feel it their way, get them to transfer it to, to their way. I remember HJ used to tell me, you, you know, you have to tell them everything you want to tell them and, and get it all out there. And, you know, you may be overloading them at first and then you step back and don't say anything for 10 or 15 minutes and let them stand there, especially if they're hitting a good shot or two, let them stand there and kind of process the feels or process, you know, whatever, whatever's happening to them at that point, And then ask them questions. Well, how was that? And what did that feel like? And then when they come with something that is in their, in their verbiage or their world, get them to write it, like you said, onto a note card or into a phone, you know, note cards have, are becoming a thing of the past, obviously, but, you know, get them, get it into their phone so they can, they can take it to the golf course and kind of reactivate that, you know, days or two later, you know, and, and c- continue to practice that. JP, have you advanced past the note card yet? Just checking. From, from that, I think we've got to be, you know, again, for the younger teachers out there, there is, there is something very powerful for somebody writing something down in their own words. Mm-hmm. And uh, that when you write something down, you're more likely to do it. And there's a yeah. lot of studies behind that. So, like, I don't mind, I, you know, I don't mind the thought of that, like r- having them write down or vocalize, like say into a voice note on the phone, what they're feeling. I think that's, I think that's gold for, uh, you know, for, for retention of learning. Mm-hmm. I think it's good as a teacher too, listening to it. Cause sometimes I hear a student verbalize something and it clicks for me to share it with another student that's struggling with the same thing. I think helping a, having a student who's caught in the process doing it, having them write it down could help us as well, help other, help other students. So Jackson onward. Yeah. So bridging the gap from that to the next question is about pricing specifically for pricing for long-term coaching programs and how you would do that for juniors or uh, tournament players. That's chip shot, by the way, it's going nuts out here. Stop it. So go ahead. Repeat that question. You got a, real treat, quick. You got a squirrel treat up there, Tony. <laughs> Just chasing some people downtown mobile. <laughs> so again, the question was about pricing for long-term coaching programs, uh, specifically for junior and tournament players. And I think, um, I think that's great too. And it ties in a little bit to maybe what I would have fed into with student retention. I think, something I've learned from you guys is having uh, everything available for those types of players, whether it's stats programs or the app for constant communication, having a database in which you can communicate other things outside of what you're doing on the golf course, stuff away from the golf course that will help them with their games. I think that's a great way to aid in student retention, but uh, yeah, ask uh, the question specifically about pricing for long-term coaching programs. JP, what do you do with that? It's been interesting. You know, my, my adventure is probably a little bit different. I've, I'm probably um, 75% tour players at this point. Um, so, I, and, you know, potentially weighing yourself, you're probably, you know, experiencing more of, more of that. I think, I think for the again for the young teachers out there, I think it's very important not to overpromise and underdeliver. 
it's much, much better to, to under-promise and over-deliver. Because, it, you know, when, when you're, especially when you're working with young players and players who are taking the game very, very seriously, it's like when, when you're starting off a program with them, it's, you know, you're much better off making sure that you put the ground rules in and you say, look, this is what I'm going to give you. This is what you can expect. And then go a little bit beyond that, as opposed to, you know, some of the mistakes I would have made in the past, which is saying, you know, you can, you know, you can call me anytime you want and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you let somebody down. So I think, you know, from, from that rationale, I don't know whether it answers the question thoroughly, Jackson, but, but uh, you know, making sure that you, you, you know, you have that balance of, of promising them the right, the right amount and then going a little bit above it. And that will, will always give them the feel that you care about them as opposed to the opposite, which is, you know, over-promising and under-delivering. Bueno. I, I think you're exactly right, JP. Um, you know, I've always tried to lay my programs out to people and tell them, here's what I think you can expect in a year. Um, it's, you know, I'm not trying to ever sell them the year-long package or anything like that. I, you know, I've, I've never tried to get a bunch of upfront money from people. I, I just, I don't think, I don't think that's really good for them or for me. I mean, my incentive would go down once I had my hands on all the cash. So <laughs> I, I just try to keep giving good golf lessons, but I try to tell them where I try to tell them where they're going to go or where I think we could take them in a year. I try to tell them what I think is going to be easy, what I think is going to be hard. And, and I, and one thing I've, you know, as I've gotten, maybe maybe I've gotten to be a little bit better of a teacher. I don't know if I am or not some days, but, you know, I try to tell them where I think what what's going to happen to the ball, just like JP said earlier. Here's what I think you can see when, when we do it right, and here's what I think you're going to get when you continue to do it your way, and, and here's what I think the next thing's going to be that we'll end up working on after we continue, you know, continue to get a hold of this concept and maybe master it or get, get closer to being – able to own this this move whatever it may be and then what i think we're going to do next to continue to make the ball flight better so i i try to give them give them some positive things or some things that i think are for sure going to happen to where you know if they do start to happen then you gain more credibility and i think i think that helps with the retention of clients when they say well maybe this guy does know what he's talking about a little bit you know so i think i think the more you can the more you can figure out what's going to happen, you know, down the road, and the more you can let them be aware of that, I think the more trust they'll give you as as the program continues to move on. Jackson. So another question was about pitfalls of tour coaching. <laughs> work at home versus work on the road, and also maybe some of like uh, the difficulty with time and payment. In the two. JP, you want to start us off on that? <laughs> Tony, I think uh, there, I mean, um, pitfall is very difficult for the people that want to see you regularly at home whenever you're dealing with tour players who are, um, you know, their schedules tend to be, you know, fairly well matched up, but they also, they want you to work with, and that's, and that's just the way it is. So, like I've I've learned that I can pretty much do what I need to do on a Monday, Tuesday after I've come back from from an event. Most of the guys who've played and they're taking a week off, they'll take Monday, Tuesday off. Then I have to be very, very flexible. For example, this week, 
obviously most of the guys were in Charlotte this week. Uh, some are playing in Dallas. A couple aren't playing in Dallas. So I've left Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday fairly free, knowing that I'm going to have to do some prep for the PGA Championship. So like you've got to you've got to start to think from their perspective. And then, you know, again, a little bit like the point that I raised uh, before with with the, the, the stuff like I, I, I now know that I can't promise people that I can see them very regularly anymore. I mean, and that's, you know, my, my example might be might be slightly different. I, I have to be able to help people understand that I'm, you know, I'm going to be able to be on on to disappoint people a little bit but at the same time i can look at a video on on an app um along the way and, and make sure I, I i stay connected with people so um i guess all of our situations are, are a wee bit different and i know tony you're you and i talk about that kind of thing a lot you know you're doing your great retreats and and uh you know at old palm and on all your 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 different things which is a wee bit different to two years ago when you were kind of on the road a wee bit more and, and i'm sure my stuff will transition but i think being transparent with people and trying to communicate where you are with, with, with all of your, your different projects, you know, that always helps me. And I, I think people tend to be on your side again, if you're, if you're truthful and honest with them and, and, you know, I think, I think you have to look at like, if you're talking about the professional player, where they are, like, so JP's got a bunch of guys on the PGA tour. So their demands are different than, three guys on the corn Ferry tour and, you know, financially it doesn't make sense for corn Ferry guys to have you go out three weeks a month. That doesn't, doesn't make much sense, you know? So I've, um, you know, so I think it depends on the levels your guys are at. Um, you know, obviously I've been fortunate had some time where I was out on tour a bunch. Then I got fired a lot. Now I'm back down to the corn Ferry tour. And so, you know, I'm, but you have then you have guys coming out and they're turning pro and they're getting starts, and so you know that that's a priority for them because the first time guys play it's PGA Tour events, it's a big deal for them. So you got to go do whatever you got to do. So I think that your how you structure like your time and the finances with professional players is a lot dependent on where they are. Like I mean. Uh, and I think most professional players kind of understand that. Like when they get to the PGA Tour, they expect a little more from you than they would if, you know, if they're playing Latin America. So. To, to, to rationalize that with like what you want to do. Like I've, I had some really good friends in Ireland growing up who probably could have gone, gone on to play the European Tour, but they didn't want to travel. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a fortunate position where I, you know, I'm, I'm young-ish enough that I still enjoy traveling. You know, Tony and I talked the other night about, you know, enjoying being on the road a little bit. And, you know, but that's that, that's a big ask to be away from your family and away from your, you know, away from your friends. And um, you've got to figure out whether that's right for you because a lot of times when, when we post these swing videos from nice glamorous events and things like that, you know, it doesn't really tell the story of the the really <laughs> bad car hire that you're driving or the, terrible hotel that you're staying in so you got to figure out you know what what is right for you with all that adventure as well in the same way that a lot of players have had to figure that out yeah agree agree and i think i think the big thing is you find out what works for you and your player and you just don't go copy what everybody else tells you does i mean if you got a player that's moved their way up and it's your first tour player i mean you need to and they're really good you need to do whatever you got to do to to help them. And I think we talked about this one other podcast or one other zoom. Like if you keep 
the whole goal being making your player better in front of you. Normally, the other stuff takes care of itself. You'll figure out what the player will tell you what you need. You'll know what you need to do. And I think eight times out of ten, the money takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. Wayno, anything to add, or we go to the next question? You know, I'm, you know, Tony, I think you're right. I've never, I've never worried about the money. That's probably why I've never made any money. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, tr- I don't worry about the money. I try to. I try to put it to what the what the player needs, and I try to do everything I can to get that young player to the to the PGA Tour. You know, get them get them from college, get them to Corn Ferry, get them to the PGA Tour, and you know, every player is different. So some are a little more needy, and some of them want you more. Some of them like to be left a little bit alone. So you know, I really try to get to know my player as best I can, and and uh, you know, take them as far as as far as i can take them and and the money will take care of itself and and uh you know i that's probably why i've remained even the guys that have quit playing because of injuries and things like that it's probably why i've remained good friends with a lot of them because i've never i've never made it a cookie cutter thing i've, I've made it a very individual thing and i try to cater to to, to all my students see you know college kids high school kids just regular golfers i've tried to I tried to let them know that their game's really important to me and I do whatever I can to, to help them, whether it be, you know, if I'm, I'm down at the beach for a weekend, I still am looking at videos that people send me and trying to give them my time. And, you know, as, as best I can, I'm, I'm available, you know, all the time. So, you know, sometimes that gets a bit tedious and the travel gets a little bit tough, but, you know, I just think that's, I, that's the best way to do it that I've, that I've felt. And, and that's what I continue to do. Jackson. So, yeah, question specifically for you, JP, and then I got a, another technical question. These are both technical questions for Tony and, and Wayne. JP, if you don't mind talking a little bit about the trail arm and how, it, how you see it move with good players versus somebody who might have limited uh, external rotation in their trail shoulder. Well, external rotation stuff is slightly faded. Um, I think uh, having correct, a really, really correct trail hand grip, having correct trail wrist movement uh, into being in the shoulder properly, because the, the you know once once we're in posture, like our, our trail arm isn't going. Players, I don't think our trail arm's going way outside of our posture line, if you like. And we take a TPI ninety ninety test. Um, and of course, there is a little there. There is a, a an amount of external rotation, but I think we, you know, I think I think we're in a, you know, I, I I understand the question, and I think we need to make sure that that really good grip mechanics, really really good trail wrist mechanics, understanding where the trail arm needs to be at setup, um, and and how it loads up, and I you know I think you know. Guys, technically, that has helped me an awful lot over the years. Pete Cowan was, you know, that was that was one of the things. Really, he for about five or six years on the European tour, he was really into making sure everybody moved their their trail arm correctly in the golf swing, and it it, it bred a, a series of golfers who were extremely um, extreme, were able to hit a pressure cut an awful lot. Um, so I think it's a, you know, it's a very, very good way of, of, of starting to understand some of the finer mechanics in the golf swing. Um, I hope that answers a little bit the, the elite level part of the question. 
say that from a, you know, and, and when I look at players who aren't maybe just as advanced, we see maybe the trail arm going like external really, really quickly um, and, and opening up. But again, that could be, that could well be like a sequencing problem. That could be a, um, a, a grip problem. That could be something that happens very, very early on in the golf swing. Then, then they're trying to, ha- trying to recover that. Um, so you're getting back into the weeds of that. You're, you're making sure that the player has, you know, a beautiful right-hand grip, um, a beautiful trail wrist arrangement. You know, I like the DST, the swing trainer. I like, I like Sean's pro sender. I know Sean doesn't need me to make him any more money. Um, you know, Wayne, and, <laughs> Wayne would laugh at that. But, uh, you know, I, some of those things will really help for finer trail arm mechanics. That's awesome. Okay, what about Tony and Wayne? Some drills for loading the pivot. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, for me, uh, a lot of single leg stuff. I, I do a lot of single leg stuff. And I think that one thing that I've learned is that sometimes, and we're talking about a lot of recreational golfers here, but also uh, even better players, is you have to see if they've got enough stability in their trail side to be able to load. Like sometimes you get a, 50, 60 year old guy. I had a guy in at Old Palm uh, like a week ago. And I mean, he was trying like crazy. But when you had him do a pivot drill and stand on just his trail leg, he almost fell down and hit his head. You know, it's like, how's that guy going? So, you know, uh, I do a lot of single leg stuff and train people on both legs independently to help them build stability to, to be able to do some of the exercises and do some of the exercise better. And then my favorite one is just a resistance band under the lead foot. And then you take your grip with the club and you have the band in there and just turn and stretch the band. And as a side note, that also helps people. And I can't explain why JP would probably know this way more than me, but when you do it with that resistance band, they also kind of have to work their trail arm correctly to move the band and move the club up and down because they couldn't really, I mean, you don't ever see anybody really use their trail arm incorrectly with that resistance band having helps them set their wrist correctly and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting as a side note that I've kind of figured that out. Sure. They can't, they can't, they, once the pressure goes, the band would flop. Yeah. Sure. Correctly. Which again, that wouldn't, you can't get external too quickly then because if right. the band would flop behind you, you would have to load it properly. Mm-hmm. Wayne, uh, I you know I do the same stuff. I mean, I try to get them to 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 stretch that band behind them, and 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 I'm you know I try to not get them. Everybody's trying to get their hands too far behind their body, and they can't really do it. You know, um, whether they're just too tight in their shoulder or whatever, but they try to get the club too far behind them a lot of times, and so I try to get that band stretching away from them, and and try to keep them how to keep their hands together get the left hand on the grip and the right trail hand on the grip correctly, and then try to keep their hands together and teach them how to stretch the band away from them. Um, I use that, that little uh, pivot board that I believe Mark Sheftick, I don't know what it's called. Is it the Sheftick pivot board or whatever? I, I use one of those a lot so they can feel when their body turns, how the weight will move into the, the, the back foot and then how the shift will get them into the, the front leg a little bit and then the turn can happen after that. So I try to put the sequence of all that together. And, um, you know, I've learned, learned a lot just from watching you and K Wayne with the, 
you know, the one leg drills and you're, you're right. I mean, if a person can't even stand on one foot, how are they ever going to turn their whole body into that leg if they can't even just stand there and balance, you know? So I think that's a good indicator of, you know, if they can or can't do that, of what you're dealing with and, you know, how you would go about it. I think if they can't stand on one foot, I think you may, may keep them on that board a little longer so they can feel how that little board will move and, and then, you know, maybe add the resistance band a little later, you know, once they've learned to move their body into the, the trail leg and, and, and do that pretty good, then they can learn to maybe add the arms to it and the hands and learn to stretch that band away from them. So, you know, yeah. it just depends on who you're dealing with. And, but those are kind of the three ways I go about doing it. And Jackson, the other thing I've been fooling around before we go to wait, one, one more, one, one more quick thing on the shoulders. We, who's listening can correct me I, I don't think we've got really really good clear 3d on exactly what's happening with the shoulders in golf the shoulders are very complicated and they're moving through three dimensions and they're a you know a ball and socket absolutely know exactly what's going on with the shoulders in the golf swing from a science perspective yet i know michael neff and the guys from gears are trying to do some stuff with the shoulders and uh complexity of actually getting inside the shoulder joint and trying to put markers on so we can actually tell exactly what those two shoulder joints are doing in the golf swing. We haven't done that yet. And, and, and along that same lines from, and this actually goes to when I came over and watched you with Michael and did that, like I just based on the stuff I teach, I, I, I've been real interested in how much the rib cage moves back and through and JP and I've had a couple talks about that. And so through that, I've kind of started fooling around with, that true turn, which was developed, I believe, like for, you know, physical therapy, actually. But it's pretty unique in how it kind of separates the upper body, kind of hooks under the rib cage and uses a resistance band. That true turn, I found pretty good kind of combining the resistance and then with some of the thoughts I have about helping somebody wind the rib cage up and different things like that. So, you know, that's anyways, that's in addition to what what I was saying. And so, again, I've talked to JP, as you know, I tried to pick, I'm trying to pick Michael Neff's brain a little bit on that, on measuring what the rib cage does in good players, especially going through the ball. So, Jackson, on to the next. All right. I've got three questions left, and I'm going to kind of shoot them to each uh, one to you, Tony, one to JP, and one to Wayno. So, I'm going to start with you, T-Ball. Uh, do you have any advice for dealing with being fired and continuing to believe in yourself and your process? <laughs> Why does everybody aim that at me? I don't know, Tony. Must that question <laughs> come from Frederica or something? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know what? And I, and I mean, I'd love to hear JP and Wayne's thought on this. Look, I think all of us at some point when you get fired, I mean, I think it's human nature, no matter what anybody says, like, you question, like, what did you do wrong? What could you do better? Uh, so I'm very fortunate in that I've got great people around me that when I've gone through times where I've got fired, uh, JP and Wayne, but JP in particular, JP's taken me to dinner a few times and bought me six or seven bottles of wine. I've always felt that that helped me. Um, uh, and uh, But I think, you know, I think if you're in this business and you care and you want to do well, you just have to understand that you're going to get fired sometimes and sometimes it's your fault sometimes it's not but it's just part of it but that doesn't make you feel any better uh, when you get fired um, so I think the you know if you're good at what you do you're going to have times that 
you get fired and you're going to have times that you look inward at yourself and say, could I do better at this? What do I need to do more of to get better? I've, JP, not long ago, I texted you a question about something about that. And you picked up the phone and called me. So I think that's human nature. I think if I think that's a sign that you actually give a shit about what you're doing if you question yourself and you look inward when things aren't going well. But I don't think that necessarily means you really lost your confidence. And, uh, you know, but that's my thoughts. Yeah. Okay, Drano. So really quickly on that, Jackson, yeah. if I could. You know, my mentor, Butch Harmon, he said to me, you've got to recognize that there are two parallel things that are going to happen. You're going to have a personal relationship with a player which may or may not, you know, be long by the player. And then you've got a professional relationship with the player. And inevitably, the professional relationship will end. And you want to try and make sure the personal relationship continues. Because that's, that's you know, that's, that's a really cool part of golf. So what he was basically saying is, it's part of the process that you're going to get fired. And it's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not like if you're with a player for five years and he texts you and tells you, I don't want to, you know, I don't, that's not very nice. So you hope that people are going to work with you with respect and dignity and they're going to respect the, the work that you've put in. But at the same time, getting fired is part of what we do. Try and, dignity, try and do things the right way. Um, you know, respect, uh, try and enjoy the personal relationship you have with players and accept that it may or may not come to an end at some point. Yeah, that's great. That's, and, and I think if you handle it the right way, you also, you know, I've had several guys, several guys that I work with now left me that Ben Carr, Andy Ogletree that left and we left on good terms you know, and they came and you told them what they needed to hear. And, and uh, sometimes I think you get fired for telling them what the, uh, what you think the truth is and they don't like it. And if you handle it the right way, that a lot of times they come back. I agree with that. Real quick, sorry, sorry, Wayne, one sec. That when it, when when you sometimes if you think back to being players, like you need to hear different stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to hear different stuff, and then they have to go somewhere else. And to your point, Tony, maybe they go, "All right, I've heard that now, and I I really enjoy the time with Tony, so I'm going to go back with Tony." Goes back to the six bottles of wine, JP. It always <laughs> does. <laughs> Jackson, you want to belt out another one? Sure. So question was about organizing practice specifically for a high school team, but uh, maybe a college team as well. How would you organize practice for uh, younger kids? Jay, Wayno, lead us off. You got kind of shut out of that last one. Well, you know, I just, I try to, I try to get the the practice to, to be specific. I mean, you know, I mean, so many people just go hit golf balls. Well, that's fine. But, you know, I try to, if we're going to work on our game, let's work on our game. Let's, you know, let's try to figure out what pro, what part of the program you're in and let's learn to do that and let's practice that. And, and then let's move on to the next thing. If we're going to work on putting, let's work on our aspects of putting, our, our fundamentals, how you hold it, how you stand up to it. Um, if you want to take it another step, then let's work on, you know, uh, line control, how, how do we aim? How do we, you know, roll it up a chalk line, whatever the case may be. And then there's other, the other case of, of how do you control your speed, you know, and then how do you match those things up? Let's, let's make it very specific instead of just standing on the green, hitting about 20, 30 foot putts and falling into a day's practice. So I try to, 
I try to isolate those things with the young kids and, you know, it's amazing, but you know, the coaches that are out there, certainly most of the high school coaches are, you know, they're really math teachers that know how to play golf. And so they become coaches. And so they're not, they're not. Did we just lose Wayne? I think we did. All right, JP, go ahead. Jump in there. Well, I think what he was saying was very, very good. I mean, that specific nature of making sure that you have a, have a plan and you delve into, you know, the, the part of the game and then maybe even deeper into the part of the game. I always remember I, I used to work for David Howell, brilliant English golfer, and he said he couldn't believe the amount of people came out onto the putting green. They just putted. Just putted, but he always came out and he went, right, what am I doing? I'm working on my green reading. I'm working on my start line. I'm working on my speed. Um, and that was 10, 12 you know, years ago. And, and uh, I, I guess everybody in the professional game is doing that. But I think what Wayne was alluding to was the fact that you need to have a plan. You need to delve into exactly what you want to do. And, uh, and then from there, I think you can produce some really cool content. Yeah, I, I mean, agree a thousand percent. I like to script out practice and give practice schedules to my players. And I go, I like to even give them ball counts. Like, I want you to do 20 balls with this, 20 balls with that. So they don't get caught up and lost and just hitting balls. and um, Or they also don't get that thought where they, if I, you know, if I don't hit 200 balls, then I haven't done any work, you know, like, but be very specific and, you know, hit 20 balls doing this drill, then hit 20 balls where you change clubs and targets each time. That helps transfer the swing work to the golf course. Uh, and then I also like to, help show them how to set up a practice station. What should their aim? I mean, especially when you're talking high school kids and kids, like how do you set up a rope or how do you set up a, your aiming sticks? Uh, you know, how do you set up a stick for playing if that's what you're coaching them? You know, be specific and show them exactly how to set it up and kind of going back to our notes early, have them take a picture of their practice station and keep it in their phone so they remember how to set it up. Jackson, one hey, more question. Last question is about practice habits for competition or for better players. And if you had learned anything uh, from a caddy perspective. Say that again, word that again. So practice habits for competition or competitive players. And if you had learned anything cool from the caddy or caddy's perspective. And I take, tried to take advantage of caddying for players when, they, when they've when either asked me or had the chance to do it. I mean, I caddied in the Dubai Desert Classic a number of times and, the RSM Classic for Louis Oosthuizen and uh, for a, I think I think when you when you if if the question is from a caddy's perspective, I think what it does is it helps you to understand how non-mechanical the game of golf is when you're actually playing it. And I think as coaches, we all you know we can talk about the trail arm and we can talk about you know X factor whatever. But when you're actually playing golf, you can't think about any of that stuff at all. And I think when you caddy for people, you really understand. Or when you play tournaments yourself, you really understand. Well, like I can't. I mean, if if you're going to be successful, you're not thinking about a lot of that stuff. Um, so I think if the question's phrased as to 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 what you learn from caddying or from a caddy's perspective, I mean, all the all the caddies that I that I liaise with and are, are friends with, you know, they're they're always yeah okay stuff but we don't want you to do it on a wednesday we want yeah. you know do, do your swing stuff on monday and tuesday but don't start talking to them about swing on a wednesday and definitely don't start talking to them about it on during tournament days um so i think it, it it can really level the playing field of like you know where where our role is 
just coaching and cheerleading and, and, and strategy and, and making sure they're doing the right things? And where is it making sure their golf swings are correct? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I would always get, use caddies. Um, we would always pick, I'd always pick their brain to find out what was really going on. Cause the player will just tell you they hit it like shit. Right. But the caddy might say, or they putted terrible or whatever it is. Whereas the caddy will say, actually, other than two shots, he really hit it pretty good. But this is this is where, you know, where there was a struggle. So I think having a great relationship, obviously, with the caddy is important. And I've been around some great ones that I've still got great relationships with. And, uh, you know, as far as practice, I always tried to be very situational. And I know I'll just share, but like Lucas and I would always, we played this drill uh you know, where I would randomly scatter three balls every holes, every other hole on the front. So we ended up doing nine balls. He had to put them out. I'd randomly scatter them. And he, if he got more than six out of nine, I paid him five bucks a ball. If he made less than six out of nine, he then mowed me five bucks a ball. And it was knowing your player. He's very competitive. He's a great athlete. It was a great way to get him to work on chipping and putting in a situational way while still out on the golf course playing. And, uh, you know, using, you know, Venmo and five bucks back and forth, you know, helped him kind of stay in the moment and get something out of practice. So that's just a little story from – and Coop loved doing it as well. So anything else, Jackson? That's all the questions I got for now, T. JP, that was awesome. You knocked it out of the park again, buddy. All right. Thank you, JP. But i tell you what. This has been our most technically challenged one in a while. Again, thanks to everybody for responding to the emails. I'm going to send another one out next week. We're going to try to do a better job of getting some dates out there. We're going to line up some guests and, and uh, ask for more questions. Hope you all enjoy it, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you, guys. 26, I'm out this 26 years, and I'm still trying to work out the trail arm stuff. So. Was there any more questions on any of the – okay, just making sure. No, perfect. All right, we'll talk next time. Thank thanks, you, JP. Guys. I hope you enjoyed this edition of The Tour Coach and this conversation that we brought to you about playing, learning, and teaching the game of golf. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Tour Coach. In between now and next week, make sure you follow us on our social channels. You can always find me at The Dew Sweeper on Instagram or go to our YouTube page where you'll see a scene and a video from my teachings daily on our YouTube channel. You can find that by looking up Tony Ruggiero and The Dew Sweepers on YouTube. Until then, make sure you follow and check out Everything Tour Coach and all our sponsors, Shrikshon Cleveland Golf, Bushnell, Vineyard Vines, and Buick GMC. I'll be back next week to help all of us appreciate, learn, and enjoy the game of golf.